Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. It's my joy today to introduce to you my oldest son, Jesse Stewart, who is joining me in this ministry. I'm so glad that you're spending your Tuesday night, first week back in school with us. I know this is not an easy week, and being here, you could be doing a lot of other stuff, but you chose to be here tonight, and we are super thankful for that. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those up to 1 John chapter 1. That's where we're going to be tonight as we begin a new series in the book of 1 John. If you were with us in the fall, you know that a phrase that we found ourselves saying a lot, whether it was on the stage or even just in conversation with one another, is this idea of being fully loved and fully known. How as those who belong to Jesus, we get to experience this relationship with him where he fully knows everything about us. And for some reason, beyond our understanding, he still chooses to fully love us. And so what we're going to do is we're going to really continue to press into that in this series in 1 John. And super excited about what God's going to teach us. Super, super excited about what this book has to offer for us. And so uh, a little bit later, I'll kind of explain what exactly we'll be doing in the book. But for now, I just want to pray for us. I just want to go before God in our first time together in 2022, just asking him to get our hearts ready to hear from him today. And then at the same time, just asking him to bless us this semester the way that he has in this ministry so many years before. So let me just go ahead and just spend some time praying. God, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity we have to be here tonight for another year where we get to come and to gather together to worship you through song and now learn as we dive into your word. And God, we are so aware that even though we're in a new year and a new semester, so many of the difficulties and the challenges and the sins and just the difficult problems and difficult situations that we've lived in, Father, even they don't restart a new year. And so many of us here tonight are here with heavy burdens. Many of us here tonight find ourselves frustrated, angry, discouraged, lonely, sad, anxious, maybe all of the above. And so, God, my prayer is that through the power of your spirit, that you just quiet our hearts, that all those distractions would fall away, and that we get to rest in your presence tonight. That every single one of us here, whether this is the first time at Ignite, or whether they've been here a hundred times, would be able to feel your presence in an intimate, personal way. And all of us would walk out of this room with a deeper love for you and a deeper desire to look more like your son. It's in his holy name that we pray. Amen. Wow, so glad to be with you guys. I heard that alarm, got a little bit freaked out, not going to lie. Not going to lie, but we're here. <laughs> and so, um, sophomore year of college, I was in this relationship where I was dating this girl. Look, hey, many of you guys have been begging me. You've been begging me for another girlfriend story. So here you go. You got it right here. So sophomore year of college, dating this girl, September. And at this time, me and her have been in a relationship for a little bit over a year. And there was somebody who constantly found himself around all throughout our relationship. Her ex. Yeah, yeah. No, seriously, yeah. And so... They went to the same school, which was different than the school that I went to. So she was like constantly hanging out with this guy. It was amazing because he felt like he, it seemed like he was not interested in her. But all of a sudden when I like stepped into the picture and we started dating, it's amazing how like his interest kind of peaked back up, even though he was in a relationship with somebody else. 
And so I just kept like telling her, I'm like, look, like, like this guy wants to get with you. Like I can see this and I'm not even around him. Like I, like I can tell by the conversations you're having with me, like this guy wants to get back with you. But she just constantly denied it. And all through our relationship, she just kept reassuring me that her and this guy were just friends. So naturally, <laughs> I believed her, okay? Well, one Sunday night, we got church together, and we were about to leave to both of us, we were about to go home. And in the middle of us talking, some breaking news came out that was very interesting. She told me that this guy, you know, her ex, had just recently broken up with his girlfriend. You guys can probably see where this was going much quicker than I could at the time. And so no surprise that the next morning, early, I get a text message from her that tells me that we need to talk. <laughs> now, let me straight with you guys. Back then, your boy was no simp. So I, I did not, I did not have any time. Yes, thank you, thank you. Hey, you know, we're just going to call her up real quick, and we're going to give that a plug. No. Um, so, I mean, our relationship was, was pretty, like, it was pretty shaky. Like, I knew that for the last couple of months, things were not going great. So I was completely aware of what this conversation was going to be about. So I did what every, in, every insecure boyfriend does when he thinks a girl is about to break up with him. I picked up the phone, I called her up and said, hey, babe, I think we need to break up. <laughs> I did it. I'm a savage. <laughs> so obviously we broke up. Guess what happened just a few weeks later? I'm hanging out at my house with my brother's girlfriend who was friends with my ex. And to my surprise, I found out that her and this guy were back together. Right. And none of y'all saw that coming. Um, you know, and of course, this is great and really fun to laugh about now. But I mean, at the time, you can imagine hearing that news, how much that hurt me. Because in the words of our girl, Olivia Rodrigo, I mean, I guess she didn't cheat, but she was still a traitor, right? And so, so man, so, you, so it, I don't know how to respond to that. Like, that was, that was, that was great. Um, so yeah, so I really needed that song um, back then. But so, I mean, you can imagine hearing that, being hurt, like just, just the pain to walk through that. Because, I mean, it was me and this girl had been together for over a year, and it hurt how quickly she had left me and got back together with that guy. And so what I did in that relationship, all throughout that relationship, is something that we so often do, is I found myself believing a lie. I found myself telling myself this lie that this girl only wanted to be with me, that she didn't have any type of emotional connection to this guy that she used to date. But as soon as we broke up, because of how quickly she got with this guy, obviously what I believed wasn't true. And we've all been there before, right? We've all been in a relationship, whether it's somebody we're dating or maybe it's a friend or a sibling or a parent or somebody else that we're close to. And in that, we believe that something is true. We believe that something is real, only to find out that it's not. And so often those moments, man, it hurts, doesn't it? 
And it shows us the power that lies can really have in our lives. Because what they can do is they can alter how we see reality. And they can make us think that something is real and tangible, but when in actuality it's really not. And here's what's so concerning about lies, is we don't just find ourselves believing them in relationships. They're not just relational, they're also spiritual. And those lies are so much more dangerous. See, I'm in the middle of reading this book by a guy named John Mark Homer. If you don't know who that is, he's a pastor that I have a man crush on. Simple as that. I love the guy. I always talk about him. He has this book called Live No Lies. And in this book, he talks about one of the greatest hindrances to the Christian life is simply this. Believing lies. Especially lies from the enemy. Look at what he says in his book. He says, the devil's goal, this should be on the screen, the devil's goal is to first isolate us, then to implant in our minds deceitful ideas that play to our disordered desires, and disordered desires are priorities that we put high in our life that really shouldn't be. And he says, specifically, he lies about three things, who God is, who we are, and what the good life is with the aim to undermine our trust in God's love and wisdom. See, the Satan, the enemy, what he loves to do in your life is to get you to believe things that aren't true about reality. And Jesus tells us that Satan is the father of lies, and he loves to come into your life with the goal of killing you, destroying you, and stealing from you. He comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. That's what Jesus tells us. And one of the ways that he does that is to get us to believe lives that we don't even know that we're believing. To believe things that we think are true about reality, about God, ourselves, or what the good life is that we find ourselves buying into that we don't even question because we don't even doubt that they're not true. And Satan wants us to believe these lives so that we can have these misconceptions that cause us not to trust that God has our best interest in mind, to cause us to distrust his love and his wisdom. And what these lies do is they keep us from being fully known and fully loved by God. The enemy can't take away your salvation, but he can give you to believe lies that cause you to live a sub an insufficient walk with Jesus. And so what I want to do in this series is I want to talk about some of these lies that we believe, lies that we don't even think about, lies that so often we don't even question because we don't even believe that they're lies. And what I want to do is I want to, dis, I want to really bring to light what these lies are. I want to expose them so that instead of believing things that aren't true, we choose to live the abundant life. Because in John 10, 10, what Jesus tells us is that the thief, Satan, he comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. But Jesus says, but I come that you may have life and have it abundantly. God offers us this abundant life that so often our lives hinder us from having. And so we want to have true intimacy with God. We need to know what these lies are, what we're believing, and how we can believe truth instead. And so that's what 1 John is going to do for us. 1 John is going to allow us to walk through a book that was written by John, a disciple of Jesus. And the reason this book can help us so much is because John is writing to Christians who are starting to believe some pretty major lies. Lies about who God is. 
lies about who they are and lies about what the good life is. And so we're going to walk through this book and we're going to talk about some of these lies and then we're going to allow ourselves to live in the freedom of what it feels like to be fully known and fully loved by God because the truth has set us free. Does that sound good? All right, so let's begin reading in John chapter 1, verse 1, and let's find ourselves seeing what God's Word can teach us tonight. And so, again, I mentioned this is written by John, the disciple of Jesus, and we're going to step into this book, and John really doesn't have an introduction. He just kind of jumps right into it, and you'll see that's a little bit poetic and honestly even a bit cryptic. Like, you kind of read it, and you're like, I'm not too sure what John's talking about here. This is kind of strange. But when you really look deeper, what you see is happening is that John starts off this letter talking about Jesus. So think about that. Keep that in mind as we read these first verses together. Because here's what John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 says. It says, that which was from the beginning. That, that is Jesus that he's talking about. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life, Jesus, was made manifest and we have seen it and we testify it to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. This is verse three says, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. There's a reason that John starts off talking about Jesus in this letter. And it's because this church had believed a major lie about Jesus that had crept in to how they were living their lives. It crept in. And this is what that lie was that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. That he didn't come to this world, he didn't die on a cross, and he didn't rise again three days later. And so this church is starting to believe this lie. And so what John does is he comes and he uses very intentional language, repeatedly, right? Seen, manifest, touched, heard, right? All of these sensory languages Because what John is wanting to tell these people that he's writing to is that, look, I know that Jesus came because I was there. I heard him speak. I saw him as he performed miracles. I touched him with my own hands. And he has come and proclaimed something to me. And now I want to proclaim this truth to you. And then John says why he wants to proclaim this truth to them. He says because he wants them to have fellowship with the Father, to have intimacy with him. So it makes sense as John continues to write, he talks about how they can have this fellowship with the Father. Look what it says in verse 5. He says, this message we have heard from him, being Jesus, and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of his, Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all of our sin. And so John says here, this is the message that Jesus told me. That God is light. 
And what light means is that God is morally pure. He is holy. He is separate or set apart. He is the embodiment of truth. In fact, John says that Jesus, or that God rather, is so full of light that no darkness is inside of him, no sin is inside of him whatsoever. And so as those who belong to him, as those who say that we are his children, we are called also to reflect this attribute of his. In fact, John says that if we say we have fellowship with him, but yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and the truth isn't in us. But if we walk in the light, if we live lives like that reflect the nature and the purity and the holiness of God, then we can have true fellowship with him, true intimacy with him, because the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sins. And so John has clearly given a strong motivation here that as those who belong to God, we are called to live lives that mimic him. That we are called to walk in the light as we reflect our God who is light. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, that doesn't surprise you, right? Nobody's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that, right? We know that, we understand that as those who belong to God, we are called to live lives that look like Jesus. We're called to refrain from sin as we strive to live holy, set apart, morally pure lives. And man, there are times in our life that if we're honest, we feel like we do this well. We feel like we walk in the light, that we obey God, his character and his commandments the way that he wants us to. And when we do, we experience this true intimacy with him. We feel like our fellowship with him is authentic as we live a life that we feel like reflects the God who is holy and righteous and good. But here's our reality. is Even though so often we strive to walk in the light, we can find ourselves at times falling right back into the darkness. No longer reflecting the God that we love so much because we find ourselves instead saying yes to our strongest desires. I heard something recently that was so profound. I mean, it just totally revolutionized how I saw my relationship with God. And here's what it said. As Christians... Our strongest desire isn't our deepest desire. Our strongest desire isn't our deepest desire. And here's what it means. As followers of Jesus, our deepest desire is to follow God, to walk in the light, to reflect Jesus. That's what we long for. That's what we want. That's what we crave in our lives. But so often, our strongest desire is something that's right in front of us. Our strongest desire is to give in to that sin and to spend time in the darkness. Our strongest desire is to lie because we know that's the easiest way for us to get out of trouble. Our strongest desire is to be mean to that person who hurt us because we want them to feel the same pain that we did. And our strongest desire is to believe that if it feels good or it feels right, we should do it, even if we know that it's wrong. And so what we do is we find ourselves allowing our strongest desires to outpace our deepest desire. And we still, instead of reflecting the God who is light, we find ourselves living lives where we sin 
when we mess up and we do things that go against who God is. See, in those moments that we don't feel like that we're reflecting our God, it is so often for us to start to believe a very common lie. A lie that says that even though we might be God's child, because we keep stepping into sin, God just keeps getting more and more frustrated with us. That because his light keeps exposing our darkness, he wants less and less to do with us. And that every time in our life we find ourselves gossiping, giving in to our desires, or doing things that we know that we shouldn't be doing, we feel like God is getting more and more annoyed with us. And so we can read a passage like this one day and feel excited about it, or we can read it the next and feel a sense of guilt and shame because we're not living our lives the way that we think that we should. And when that happens, we find ourselves believing this common lie that if sin is present in my life, then God wants to be absent from my life. And we think if sin is present in my life, if I'm doing anything wrong, then God wants nothing to do with me. Because again, he is light and there is no darkness in him whatsoever. So I can't fully let God know who I am because if I do, because of my sin, God's gonna push me away. Because God is gonna look at me and he's gonna be disappointed. He's gonna be frustrated or maybe even disgusted because of all the times I could have gotten it right and I didn't. And so what that calls us to do is to feel like that we have to hide in our sin. That we can't confess it or tell it to anybody. Instead, we have to find ourselves walking around with the shame and the guilt, hoping, praying, waiting for it one day to maybe go away. And we don't feel like we can talk to God about it because if we confess our sins to him, all we feel like he's gonna do is look at us as like a disappointed father shaking his head at us because we once again gave in to our strongest desire instead of our deepest one. The lie that we believe is that if sin is present in my life, then God wants to be absent from it. If sin is present, God must want to be absent. But even though we can find ourselves thinking that God wants to push us away because of our sin, John isn't done writing yet. And he's not done talking about what it means to walk in the light. Because what he says in verse 8, in verse 9 and verse 10, is so powerful for us tonight. Look what it says as we continue to read. He says, if we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. What is interesting is John just gets done talking about walking in the light and then he gives us three if statements. All three of these statements talk about our sin. And what's interesting is in the first one, He says, if we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. This is very similar language that he uses in verse 6 when he talks about walking in the light. 
So what John is saying is that a part of walking in the light is not being deceived that you're not going to sin. And don't miss that. What John is saying here is a part of walking in the light is not being deceived in the thinking that you're not going to sin. That's why it says that if we do sin, we need to confess it. Because God is good. He is faithful and just. Jesus will come and forgive us and cleanse us. And then verse 10, which is very similar to verse 8, says that if we say we haven't sinned, then we call God a liar and his word is not in us. What is John doing here? What is the point that John is making? What John is saying to us is that walking in the light is not about perfection, but progress. John is telling us that walking in the light isn't about being perfect and living up to this perfect standard. Instead, it's living this life where we're growing and looking more like Jesus. And that is so encouraging, isn't it? Because what we see here in this passage that many of you need to hear tonight is that God knows that you're going to sin. He isn't surprised by it. God isn't shocked when it happens. In fact, what does verse 10 say? It says, if we say we haven't sinned, then we're saying that God's a liar. God knows that you're a sinner. He knows that this side of heaven, you're never going to reach perfection. He knows that you're never going to outgrow your need for grace. God knows that. And so what that means is walking in the light doesn't mean that you're not going to sin. But before we just go out and do what we want to, it's important that we don't miss something else. That even though God expects us to sin, God never excuses our sin. Even though he expects us to sin, God never excuses our sin. Sin always has consequences. So God's not just like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Like, don't worry about it. Like, you're good. Like, don't worry about it. That's not a big deal. That's not a big deal. You just keep doing you. God doesn't do that because sin is serious. And God takes sin very seriously. That's why we need to confess it. That's why John says we need to confess it so we can be cleansed and forgiven of all unrighteousness. So even though God knows that we're going to sin, he never excuses it when it happens. And see, for us, this is so difficult for us to grasp. This reality is so hard for us to walk with because in our culture, if something is expected, it's often excused. If something is expected, it's often excused. It is expected that every single one of you, when you leave, will go five miles over the speed limit when you go home. I guarantee it, Right? but a cop's not going to pull you over. Why? Because it's excused. Because everybody does it. It's normal in our society. So for us, it is so hard for us to understand this because when something is expected, it's often excused. But this is totally different. Because yes, God expects that all of us in this room will continuously fall into sin, but God never excuses that from happening. In order to have the right understanding of what it means to follow God, we have to know these two ideas and these two realities. Because what I've seen so often in my life and y'all's life is we find ourselves focusing on one over the other. Man, there's some of you here tonight, and what you're focusing on is that sin is expected. 
And so you find yourself doing whatever you want, knowing that it's wrong, knowing that God doesn't want you to, knowing that it breaks his commandments and his character, but because you're human and that's what you do, or because you're in college and this time is fine, or because this is just how you want to live your life, you are doing these things without any remorse. And you know God doesn't like it, and you can't talk to him about it. And so you walk around with shame and with guilt, but you enjoy it so much that you don't want to stop. And see, there's others you in this room, and what you're focusing on is that sin is never excused. And so you try your best to obey God. You try your best to live a life that honors him. But whenever you mess up, whenever you do with the slightest sin or the slightest thing wrong, all you do is get consumed with shame and guilt. And all you can think about is how horrible of a person you are. And you have to find a way to punish yourself before you can talk to God because you have to show him that you really care and that this is a big deal to you. And you find yourself walking around with these burdens and with these chains that you can't bear. And the Christian life isn't enjoyable for you. Instead, it's something where you feel like you're a slave because you can never get it right. And you're always feeling like God is disappointed in you. Man, the freedom that we have as those who've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, is that we understand that as those who can, understand, who can live out both of these realities, is that, man, we fight against sin. We wage war against sin. We attack it with every single fiber in our being. But when we fall and when we mess up, we understand that there's grace. And that God still loves us and God still wants to be with us and we're still his child and there's nothing that can take that affection that God has away from us. That's what we see here. God knows that you're going to sin, and he still wants to be near you. That's the beauty of what we see. And when we continue to read these last two verses, we see even more clearly what it means to live out these realities in our lives. Because look what it says, the first two verses in John chapter First uh, John chapter 2, continuing on what he's saying. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation or the wrath bearer or the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, what I love here is that John has been laying out what it means to walk in the light and then now he just basically summarizes it. He says, man, I'm writing these things to you. Why? So that you don't sin. So that you walk in the light. Because sin is never excused. But then he says, but if you do, you need to know something. That you have an advocate, which is somebody who stands on your behalf. We have Jesus constantly standing on our behalf in front of the Father. So every time you sin, every time you mess up, every time you do something that you know you shouldn't do, Jesus is saying, don't worry, I've got them. I died for them. Man, they're good. I died for them. My blood has covered that sin. And they're forgiven. I've, I've done something about that. I've died for them. And the fact that Jesus is our advocate shows us That sin is expected because he's always standing on our behalf before the Father, letting him know that we belong to him because his blood has cleansed us from all unrighteousness.
But we also see another word here that shows us that our sin is never excused. Because before Jesus could be our advocate, he had to be our propitiation. The atoning sacrifice for our sins. He had to take on the wrath of God that we deserved because of all the stuff that we did. By first living the perfect life that none of us in this room can live. And then he goes to the cross and then he rises from the grave, conquering death, conquering our sin. So now we don't have to be separated from God because our sins are buried in the empty tomb. And so now we can enjoy this freedom of living in this relationship with God where God can always be near us so he can always be present in our lives because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. The place that God desires to be. So what this shows us is that God doesn't push us away because of our sin. Instead, our sin is why God came near to us. So he could be our atoning sacrifice. So he could remove every obstacle that would keep us from having a personal, loving relationship with him. Because that's how much God desires to be with you. So don't be afraid to let God know fully who you are. Don't be afraid to allow God to see the very depths of your heart. And as you do, don't believe the lie that when sin is present in your life, God wants to be absent. Because even in the midst of our sin, even in the midst of our failure, we have a God who still loves us, who still wants to be near us, and still wants to live in a relationship with us. In a book that I read not too long ago called Gentle and Lonely by Dane Ortland revolutionized how I saw God's heart. Because so much of what we're talking about tonight is what I believed. But Ben, you guys can come on out. But as we do, man, I want you guys to listen to this quote because this helps us understand and see the heart that God has for you. Even in the midst of your sin, how God perceives you as his child. So believer, hear these words tonight because this is what he says. He says that God is rich in mercy means the things about you that make you cringe most make him hug hardest. Allow that to sit. The things in your life that you've never told somebody that make you cringe, that bring you so much embarrassment, that thing in your life makes your father want to hug you even harder. Because that's the affection that he has for you. It means our haunting shame is not a problem for him, but the very thing that he loves to work with most. It means our sins do not cause his love to take a hit. Our sins cause his love to surge forward all the more. And when sin is present in your life, God wants to be present too. 
because he wants to forgive you. He wants to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So here's my challenge for you tonight. My challenge to you tonight is to simply remember this, that confessing is a part of cleansing. That confessing your sins to God is a part of experiencing the cleansing in our lives. As believers, a healthy practice, a consistent practice that we should do every day is confess our sins. See, what the enemy does is he wants us to believe this lie that perfection is our standard. And so anytime we fall short of that, anytime we sin, we've got to be in shame and guilt and we can't talk to God about it because of who we are. But that's not what scripture says. Scripture says you are going to sin and what you need to do is be quick to confess it, to be restored in your relationship with God, to be cleansed of all of your unrighteousness. Confessing is a part of cleansing and confessing should be a part of your Christian life. Every single day, admitting your sin and asking your God who desires to forgive you to do it. And so tonight, as we sing this last song, some of you just need to confess some sins to God. You just need to have a conversation with him and to be honest about yourselves and experience that cleansing and that healing that is offered through the blood of Jesus. Now, we're going to have some people in the back. If you want other people to help pray with you and to help you as you go through this, we'd be love for you to be a part of that. But don't let the lie of the enemy make you hide in your sin and hide in your shame. Instead, confess it to your father, ask for his forgiveness, and then receive his cleansing. Because the sin that you are living with the guilt of right now has already been nailed to the cross. So let's walk in that. Let's live in that freedom and experience what it means to be fully loved and fully known by the God of the universe. Father, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for this opportunity we have to start this series in 1 John and to be reminded that a part of our cleansing is us being real and honest with you and confessing our sins. God, thank you that you are a God who understands that we are weak, that you know that we're going to fall into sin, but thank you because you're a God who is holy and righteous and good, that our sin is never excused. And that's why Jesus had to come. That's why he had to go to a cross. That's why he had to die so that our sin could be dealt with, so the wrath that our sin deserves could be appeased, and now we can experience a relationship with you where we're fully known and fully loved. So tonight, may we not believe the lie of the enemy that our sin wants, or that you want to push us away because of our sin, but may we live in the freedom of what forgiveness offers. And we ask all this in the great name of Jesus. Amen.